Hi, this is Dan Sullivan. I'd like to welcome you to the Multiplier Mindset Podcast. My free zone success story today is Justin Jones Fosu. And Justin comes from Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. Justin's very impressive. He just is in coach for about a year. And he's got an incredibly deep and different kind of background, all the different things he's done in his life. And we hit it right off the bat because his first entrepreneurial job in life was mowing lawns, and so was mine. And his second entrepreneurial experience in life was delivering papers, and so was mine. So right off the bat, we had a common history. Before I talk about Justin, because we're involved in a collaboration with Justin, I'd like to tell you an experience that we've just had within the past month, and that is because of the COVID pandemic and because of the lockdown that came with it, of course, we didn't have in-person workshops. So we said, well, why don't we try out having virtual workshops right from the start? So not a replacement for your in-person workshop, but let's start new programs where it's right from the start. It's virtual. It's on Zoom. And so far, as of today, we have two groups. We do it on time zones. So the first one was Los Angeles time zone. And today's is Greenwich Mean Time. So it's London. And it's roughly about 60 entrepreneurs from all over the world join the program. And all told, adding up all the countries that contributed to the 60 new entrepreneurs and strategic coach program, it's probably about 21 different countries. Okay. Now, the reason I say this is that people have often said that the concepts and tools in Strategic Coach are universal. Any entrepreneur in the world who comes into contact with Strategic Coach thinking and the way of going about thinking as an entrepreneur, doesn't matter where they're from, they will be attracted to it. And if they know about it and it's available to them, they will actually join it. Okay. Well, we've always had this as a theory. But this, in the past two or three weeks, we have it as proof. And we have individuals saying, you know, we've been thinking about coming to coach for four or five years. We've been listening to podcasts and everything, but the travel was just too big of an obstacle for us. You know, some people said, if you ever went virtual, we would be right there. Well, we went virtual, you know, there's no incentive, like no alternative. So we went virtual. So I just want to say this as an introduction to, commenting on Justin, and that Justin's whole approach is to make work meaningful that every human being who is involved in work should have an equal ability to have their voice heard, to have their uniqueness heard, and we believe in that 100%. So my name is Justin Peter Kofi Irabi Jones Fosu Sr., but most people call me Justin. So <laughs> I've had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit since I've been little. I remember my first business was a lawn care business with some of my friends. So two of my buddies, we were in elementary school. And so I took my mom's lawnmower <laughs> and we pretty much, you know, got together all of our parents' stuff and we went out and it was great because we were cutting lawns and it was an amazing experience. I mean, we had to do that stuff because of our chores. So we're like, well, how do we make money doing it? And so that business went really well. We built up flyers. At that point, I knew how to operate DOS and DOS and all that kind of stuff. So I could create flyers and put flyers in the neighborhood. And I think it was probably like $5 a lawn, right? So we were just happy to be making money. But then 
fall season came and leaves came. And for some strange reason, we didn't understand price differentiation. And so we were like, yeah, $5 to rake leaves. But raking leaves is much different than cutting grass. And so I remember we did one yard for the uh, leaves and that was the end of our business. So that was the beginning, uh, beginning and the end of the entrepreneurial journey. Then I was a paper boy and I realized how providing excellent service to others would be helpful. Um, And so when you gave great service for those customers who didn't necessarily want their paper just on their porch, but they went inside, you learn those little small things of differentiation. And I saw those happen with the tips that they would give when you would do those little small things to help. And so that was all a part of the entrepreneurial journey for me. And then ultimately, March 24th, 2007, I remember going to Norwalk, Connecticut, and I was doing a leadership training conference. And, you know, I went on my own dime. It was free. You know, like I wasn't getting paid anything. I stayed with my best friend in New York at the time. And I finished the workshop and people at the end were like, oh my gosh, like this is one of the best workshops we've ever been to on leadership. Can you come to our organization? And I was like, you know, sure. But there was one young lady that I still wish I knew who she's like, hey, you do mind writing your prices in the back of your business card? I'm like, prices? Are you like, what are you like talking about? I was like, just, don't people just do this for free, right? But, you know, I was a business major. So, I, you know, I was like, hey, I'll work with you in your budget. But I had no concept of prices. And that's the day that I realized I was asking the wrong question all these years. You know, many years, I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2003, 2004, when it asked you, what would you do for free? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm asking the wrong question. It's not what would I do for free? That implies a future tense. The real question is, what am I currently doing for free? Which implies a present tense. And I realized that I was doing it. That day, I went back to my friend's house in New York and I started the business. So March 24th, 2007 was that moment where I realized that's what I love to do and that my heart skipped a beat when I did it. I had a lot of crossroads. (laughs) I started speaking. I was doing an MBA program and I was part of their incubator program. I'd just been featured in Ebony Magazine. I just won Student Entrepreneur of the Year. I was part of the incubator program. And I remember, you know, going to Student Life and saying, hey, you know what? I don't mind. I'll come and I'll speak. You know, I even use the magic words at a discount (laughs) for, you know, the new students that were coming in. And Susan... Lucci told me no. And I was crushed. I was like, wait a minute, my old school where I'm in the incubator program, you all have big billboards of me in downtown Baltimore and all these things, right? You know, I'm featured in all these things. And you all said no. So I was like, what's going to make anybody else believe in me? And I remember at that moment, I was like, there's going to be one or two things I'm going to do. I'm either going to cry about it or I'm going to do something. And so I cried for a little bit. And then I remember going downstairs and reaching back out to Susan setting up an interview and asking the question with Susan and Anthony Butler. And I remember asking the question when I got to the interview and we got a chance just to sit down with them and asking them, like, what would have caused you to say yes? And they was like, oh, accident, Justin, it's nothing against you. We just only bring in speakers from these certain agencies or we see them at these certain conferences. And I remember writing down these conferences and agencies. That was a crossroads because I remember the second time that this happened, I was doing a leadership training conference for a Nova Sherm had a great time, gave great content. And I remember after I got done, I used to do a plus delta. And I was like, yeah, all right, plus what went well, delta, what do I need to change or improve? And I had this guy, he's probably in his mid-40s, mid-level manager. And he was like, Justin, he was like, I loved your content. I thought it was very helpful and all the stuff that I could learn from. But he was like, what qualifies you to speak to me? And I remember, you know, at that time, I, you know, I led a team of 50 for Target and done all these things, had my MBA. But I remember at that time, I was like 27 years old, and I was just like, 
well, man, if he's willing to ask me that, how many other people are thinking this? <laughs> and so it just really made me reshape the direction and trajectory. And so I had to ask myself kind of like unique ability and ask myself like, hey, what am I really strong at? What am I really passionate about? What qualifies me in a unique way to engage? And so I remember I was like, well, I know a place that's not a question is around student leadership. And so I was like, well, let me initially kind of transition from doing a lot of the corporate pieces until I build up a little bit more momentum, time, energy, life experience, and business experience. And so then I went and focused specifically on student development. And then probably about six years ago, transitioned back into corporate. So yeah, those are two big crossroads for me that I had to ask the question, am I cut out for this? Because those are really big moments where I questioned my business, my business acumen, and would it ultimately succeed? Three things that I focus in on each and every day. And one is the perspective, right? We may call it the positive focus. And one of the things for me is that I ask, like, what am I grateful for today? You know, what is the thing that I'm just super thankful for? And so that's a part of the conversation I have, which is part one. What am I grateful for, right? I call it the WUA, right? And so W-U-A. And that's waking up appreciative. And so, <laughs> so like that was a song back in the day, like, woo I got you all in check, right? And so like that became just my own, <laughs> my own like, woo So I just have a little fun with that in the morning and just think about what I'm appreciative of. Now, the other thing that I do is a focused frog. So each day, what I challenge myself to do, I have a buddy that I connect with, Daryl Bellamy, actually, which I think you'll be interviewing as well. So we get on a call from 10 to 11 and we first start off with what we're grateful for. All right. And so then what we end up doing is that we hold each other accountable. We say, hey, what's the biggest challenge you have today? And so I created this concept based upon two principles. One, it was Brian Tracy's Eat That Frog. And then the second was one of my mastermind partners, Marcy Radar, who did this thing called the Focus 90. So I asked us like, okay, what if I could merge these two concepts? And so what is the most challenging, hardest thing I have to accomplish? And what if I do it from a peer-to-peer level? And so we get on a call. We share what we're grateful for, what progress we made from the week before, and then we share what's our most challenging thing that we have to do and accomplish that day, and we focus on it. And then at 10.55, we come back and we share what progress we made, and then we ask questions or answer questions that we have or give suggestions or thoughts. And that just helps me to have at least made an impact in the most challenging thing for that day and at least for my professional life. And last thing, so the first thing obviously is, woo-ah you know, waking up appreciative. The second thing is that focused frog. And the third thing is my meaningful day. And I'm a really big believer. I mean, I talk about meaningful work. And so I created a meaningful day template. It really asks four things, you know, the four P's. It's perspective, people, personal, and professional. And so I go through on a little whiteboard and I go through and say perspective. What am I grateful for? Which is part of that woo The second thing is people. Is who do I want to have meaningful connection with? Now, these last three pieces, people, personal, and professional, I put in there only one to three things each day. One to three things that if I did these things, that this would be a meaningful day to me. I'd be able to bring meaning instead of just trying to see, what's today a meaningful? No, no, no. I'm going to bring meaning today. And so I ask one to three people that I want to engage in a deeper part of experience or relationship. You know? So I do extravagant appreciation. And so is it writing a handwritten note? Is it doing an extravagant appreciation video for someone? And so that's the people part. The second part is the personal. It's like one of three things that I want to do for myself. And I love that perspective because I think, you know, one of the things I focus on is the glass half empty, half full. (laughs) A big part of me is like, let's just fill the glass back up. (laughs) 
for me, the diversity series came about just as a person working within corporate America and seeing how diversity was being given and received. And if you've ever seen the office diversity day, that's a lot of many times how diversity was being done. And I wanted to challenge the notion. I also saw that for a lot of people, two things were happening. One, people were receiving more of what I call the inclusion mandate versus the inclusion mindset. And so I wanted to help people to develop a mindset where they could see and embrace it in their everyday lives versus seeing it as this really big initiative over here. Because oftentimes, just the same thing we do just in human life in general and change management. Like when something's really big, even in our fitness, right? We go into this big gym. We haven't worked out in five years. We go into this big gym where people are ah, ah, and lifting weights and like throwing stuff around. Like, ah, you know, and we're just like, uh, I think I walked into the wrong place. Or we may even try and for the first day. Okay, but then we're sore and we don't go back. And so I wanted to help people to approach it, not just from their head, because I realized a lot of people had a lot of head knowledge about it, but from their heart. And that's where I saw true transformation happening in everyday stories, everyday life. As we became a little bit more curious about others, as we saw others, as we were more interested in others than being interesting to others. And as we figured out ways that I could respectfully disagree and to see humanity in people, even when I disagreed with their you know, ideology. And so for me, I didn't see a big space for that and a lot of people talking about that. And so I wanted to kind of change how we saw diversity and inclusion, that it was something that didn't have to be this boring, shame-based approach, but it could be something that was fun, interactive, yet reflective. Something that people could say, hey, I can actually do something. It's not just about educating me about how bad I am, but educating me about how I can grow and continue to get better. So that became my approach. Now, I realized earlier on, I thought that was the only approach. I realized over time, you know, I got a little less arrogant <laughs> and I realized that there's multiple approaches and different people need different approaches in order to grow and develop. And so that just became one approach. And I believe that one approach was helpful. And my approach has been one that's just added something to the field to help people to grow. In my presentations, I don't focus on statistics really at all, unless my client asks me to. I focus on stories, real life reflection moments where people themselves have been othered or been on the outside and encouraging people to engage in practices and practical deep practices that will help them to hear people, experience people, to see the significance of other stories, to not take the exit with through everyone else, to enlarge their circles by being not just being welcoming, but being inviting and taking tough topics and handling them in compassionate ways. Like an example, I talk about being right-handed, right? And I go through a story where I realized that I was right-handed and society that catered to my right-handedness. I had no idea. I, you know, I never thought about it because I didn't have to. I had the luxury to know that things were made for me, that cabinets and doors and scissors that say they're multi-handed are really still made for right-handed people. I learned that spiral notebooks are the bane of left-handed people's existence, right? Like I learned all these things. And you know, doing that, it was like, when I was able to share that as a concept, it took away the explosiveness that people have when they hear the word privilege because it's an automatic set of understanding and sometimes even baggage that people take on when they hear the word. We put it to something like right-handed. Like, oh, wow, like, yeah. And I actually have a right-hand sister or my parents right or left-handed or my daughter or something was left-handed. I realized I had to do things different for them. But it was became more of an advocacy of like, hey, instead of getting these regular scissors, let's get left-handed scissors. Or instead of getting the spiral notebooks with the thing on the left, how about we get the ones with the spiral notebooks at the top or, you know, the pens, let's find non-smearing pens. So when the people are able to write, people get that. 
and then they get the message without some of the unintended baggage that may come with other terms. So I'm not a big statistics or official term person unless it's important to my client, but I really focus in on the message, the heart of it, and stories that really highlight and, and impact the heart so that people go out and live it each and every day. I really fought for a long time this whole notion of doing work, you know, around DNI, diversity and inclusion, because I didn't want to be the black guy doing diversity work. Like I was like, ah, no, too cliche. I don't want to do it. But I had a passion for it, right? And I found that for me, meaningful work is diversity work, right? There's a lot of people who aren't showing up and bringing meaning to their everyday work lives because they don't feel like they're valued, that they're included. And so they spend all of their time dealing with challenges and feeling excluded that they can't give the innovation, the creativity, the uniqueness, their own unique ability. They don't have time to focus in on that because they're just dealing with how can I just be included? And so I got over myself and I've been fighting for a long time to not write this book. (laughs) And so I'm most excited about just this book and putting it in the hands of everyday people that are working and helping others. And it's just really challenging people with this inclusive mindset. And so it's kind of mixing a little bit of Carol Dweck's work around the growth mindset, just that energy and figuring out ways that I can really serve and help people is my joy, my passion. I'm like, ah, like, you know, just the fact I did these seven mini episodes and it's for free, right? It's like, I just want to put it out there to help. And people are like, wait a minute, you should be licensing this information and you should be doing all this. And I'm just like, well, maybe I'll do a course later on but I really want to give people something of value and of substance that can help them develop and grow in this area. And the responses have been awesome and phenomenal. People say, hey, we're utilizing this in our college course or organizations saying, hey, we put this on our intranet. And so like just kind of leaning into that work has been helpful. And I really believe part of my unique ability is being able to convey really tough topics and compassion in simple ways. And being able to take a concept like privilege and be able to talk through like right-hand paradigm or take something about courageous curiosity about from what I learned from the kid on a plane who wasn't shut up. And just like <laughs> really learn all of these, take these hard concepts that we often struggle with and put it in ways that are practical, relatable, and actionable. It's been something I've been energized about. One of the things, as I talked about this whole concept of a beginner ally from one of my really good buddies, Raven Solomon, and a beginner ally, I essentially say it's three by five things, right? So three people, three podcasts, three movies, three books, three journal articles. And it can be just as simple as one, one person. And starting off with conversation and saying, hey, take it from a posture of humility. I don't know a lot about X, right? Or I don't know a lot about those who are differently able to those who are in wheelchairs. And I noticed you come in a wheelchair in our company. What could we be doing differently as a company to be more accessible, to accommodate more for you as a person in a wheelchair? And you see what I'm saying? Like giving that person and like, what are there movies or books or podcasts or articles that I can read on this? And that sometimes fuels it, but it's taking that first step. And that first step is often that one person. But don't stop at the one person because there's a myriad of experiences. So that's why I say at least get three three people, and then begin to develop and dig into other areas. But yes, it's the people, it's the books, podcasts, movies, and journal articles that can begin to help shape how we see an experience, an event, or people, and how we engage. Yeah, an inclusive mindset is simply this, where you look for things every day to grow, (laughs) to be more inclusive. It's being courageous in your curiosity with people. 
So as you meet people, instead of just hearing them and just like, oh, okay, so you say you're talking to somebody that may be at your workplace or somewhere in the community, and you may say, how are you doing today? And what's the normal response? Oh, I'm good. We normally stop there. We stop in our curiosity. Why don't we say, well, well made it good? And most people, when I do that, they're like, oh, like, oh, wow. And then they go into things that are meaningful and matter to them. And then as you continue asking questions, I call it the power of three, because most people stop at the power of one or power of two. And in power of three, you listen to the third level of the conversation, right? And so you're asking questions that dive deeper, you know, but that's an everyday curiosity as we meet people and have different experiences that is not some big mandate, but it creates these moments where in our everyday lives, we can learn something new, we can engage a new relationships, and we can hear people and make people feel heard in a better and different way than we normally do. And so the inclusive mindset, it really has shaped how we see the world. You know, in a mindset, it shapes your behaviors, your practices, everything. And when we start doing it more and more, and we start being more intentional about not taking the exit with people, but really engaging with those, it becomes an everyday part of our lives. You know why I know that happens? Because that's something that's been slowly happening for me around fitness. You know, when I first decided to really start trying to take on this, be more fit and to be more healthy from a physical perspective, you know, it was challenging. It was daunting. You know, I had to figure out all these things, oh, nutrition, oh, what, how many times do I work and macros and, oh my gosh, can I eat wheat? Or can I eat flour? Can I do? And it just felt super overwhelming. But as I practiced it each and every single day, as I did little things and I focused on something, like let me do a hundred pushups for 60 days. And I focused on little things that now it's become a part of my life that if I don't do anything fitness related today, it feels wrong. It feels off. And that, my friend, is where I feel diversity and inclusion should be. Where if I don't create an opportunity for others to share their story, their journey, or I don't look for opportunities to see, wait a minute, some people who are key to this concept that are not in the room, that it feels off and wrong. That's the mindset and that's not the mandate.